You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, everyone, while you're standing, I'd invite you to grab your Bibles or your Bible apps, and you can remain standing because we are going to do a reading today from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Today, we're going to be continuing our series called A New Humanity, and Pastor Brad will be speaking today. So please join me in reading from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you in, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're, learning, we're so non-liturgical here. We're just figuring it out. Take a seat, everybody. Thank you. Hey, guys. Excited to be with you this morning. There's just a good vibe going on in the church this morning. I love it. It's good to be here with you. Um, it is funny that, like, when I mentioned, like, this is uh, the future church, uh, I realized it's actually almost the majority of the present church, too. Like, this, <laughs> it's just emptied out. <laughs> the kids left. Um, anyway, good to be with you. I, I do want to say uh, two things. One, um, the problem with trying to do something for those who serve in the church, uh, it's always so difficult because people who serve in the church don't tend to do it so that at the end of the year, they'll be celebrated. There's just something about the heart of you as you serve at the church. But I do want to say, please, if you're, if you're thinking about whether or not this, if you've been serving in this church in any capacity uh, over the last year, please go online and sign up or grab a card uh, from the welcome table. We have some out there. Uh, please be a part of this. Uh, don't take away, here, I'll try it this way. Don't take away our opportunity to give back to you because that, I mean, I don't know how you'd be able to sleep at night. Okay, so, um, no, but please, we, we, we really want to honor you in that way. So please uh, RSVP and, and be a part of that. I do also want to say as we jump back into the text and walk through it today, um, a few weeks back I mentioned, isn't uh, all I said was, I said, isn't it interesting how um, for many of us who've grown up in the church, we read blessed, blessed, blessed. And if you just look at it, the word's just blessed. As Kim read today, blessed, 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 blessed. But people have been asking me, well, what is it? I mean, I thought you said it was this, and now it's this. I think I, I, think I inadvertently am, am causing a church split. Uh, but hey, it doesn't matter. It's blessed or blessed. It's okay. It sounds kind of uh, poetic to say blessed. It sounds a little more like a, a, something out of the sacred text. Uh, but the word is blessed, okay? So that's, uh, but you, I'm not going to get after you. I'm not going to come up and 
and correct you. Um, in fact, in fact, we're landing kind of at the end of what are called uh, these blessings or the Beatitudes uh, from what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew 5, chapter 5 all the way through to 7. But we're finishing off this first section, uh, which is known as the Beatitudes, which basically means supreme blessing. Um, and what it's not saying, what the, what the blessedness or the blessedness is not saying is um, this is this is the happy life. It's definitely not saying happier all these people. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is how you live a heaven smile down upon me life. Like a, like a proud parent looking at their kid making the right choices. That's what the, the, ble- the blessed, the beatitudes is about. It's about heaven smile down upon me kind of life. Do you want to make heaven smile? Be meek. Be, be, seek out peace. Return peace when people are throwing chaos at you. And so today we look at this, this final uh, state of heaven smile down upon me life. And it is a kicker. Verses 10 to 12. Blessed or blessed, are, I'm just making everyone happy, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted, uh, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, those who spoke truth. Uh, The word persecuted literally means here chased out. Blessed are you when people chase you out. When people take from you and tell you to leave. And we can look at the world today and some of us, depending on how much we pay attention to social media and the news and all that kind of stuff, um, we can see that that people who try to live righteous lives, people who who try to live out their faith can be chased out. Chased out of politics, chased out of uh, academia. uh, Academia, depending on what school you went to. And in, in many areas of the world, chased out of their own families. Ostracized. Blessed are those who are canceled. Blessed are those who are ghosted for my name's sake. But let's be honest about the, the, the kind of spectrum of persecution, okay? Yes, there is a level of persecution that you and I might face, and it does seem to be getting more intense as people stand up for truth, even here in the West. But let's not pretend that the persecution that you and I walk through is the same. It's real, but it's not the same as the global church is facing even today. But here's the thing, and we need to make care, we need to be really careful uh, not to make this text say something that it's not saying. Because many of us, I've heard people quote this text, and they're quoting, they're misquoting it. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because of For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and Say all, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they're obnoxious in my name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dang it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they are difficult in my name. <laughs> Not even blessed are those who are persecuted for being morally upright. No, no. Jesus is saying, are you willing to be guilty by association? Are you willing to be guilty because you, will you take a hit 
for my name's sake. Simply because you know me and you obey me, are you willing to take a hit for me? Because anyone who lives out these beatitudes in the world today, it makes sense that this is the last one. If anyone does this in Jesus' name, you can do it in any other name, but if you try to live out a moral life in Jesus' name, Jesus says, you will be persecuted. So I will say this. Be careful before, <laughs> before you sit in your, in your seat this morning and go, well, I don't get persecuted because I'm one of those cool Christians. I'm one of those Christians that fits in well. And, I, you know, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I am a seeker-sensitive Christian. So people don't rub up against me because I'm just, you know, Jesus would not encourage you to boast in that. See how cool our church is? See how we're cutting edge with, with our music and, and we make everyone feel comfortable when they come in? Jesus says, if you love me, you will be persecuted. John 15, verses 18 to 20 says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's like Jesus has dibs on hatred. If you, belong, uh, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Paul writes to a young pastor in 2 Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone, what is that? Everyone here knows what that word means in the Greek. That word everyone? What does it mean in the Greek? Everyone, everyone right. Everyone who wants to live, a, yeah, I didn't know you guys were all scholars, um, <laughs> live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, what's the word will mean in Greek? Will be persecuted. So persecution is not an option. And not being persecuted is not, <laughs> Paul would say, Jesus would say, it's not a boasting point. It means you're missing out on associating yourself with Jesus. They threw stones at Jesus. They threw stones at him. They pushed him out of town. They crucified him. We should wonder if we are getting accolades. In fact, Jesus would say that that is the opposite of being blessed. He says, be careful. In Luke chapter 6, verse 26, he says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Those who told people what they wanted to hear, those are the people that will lift you up when you just tell them whatever they want to hear. So how should we go about understanding, approaching, and living through the level of persecution that you and I will face if we try to live out a godly life here and now? Well, as always, we look to Jesus. Always the perfect model of all these beatitudes. Always the perfect model of what it means to live out a kingdom life. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, it says in Hebrews 12 too. He's the reason that we are saved, but he's also our model on how we live out our salvation. So we look to Jesus to see why we are persecuted. We look at Jesus and go, why, why, as we associate ourselves with Jesus, why are we persecuted? Well, because Jesus knew humanity as a foreign concept to our world. All these things as we walk through the Beatitudes, that is a foreign concept to the world that you and I live in. It is a heavenly, eternal, hopeful concept, but it is foreign to the world. In the second century, around 130 AD, there was a, uh, 
so very, the church was very young at this point. There's a letter that's been found uh, called, um, for, written to a student called Diognetus. And what it, it's a letter from a, a teacher to a student explaining the difficulty that it is as a Christian to follow Jesus but live in the world. It says this. This is great. So this is, uh, this is uh, almost 2,000 years old. For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. While they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, and follow the local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. If you don't know what that means, it means in the first, second century, um, when pagans did not want their children, they would throw them in the dump heap and just let them die of exposure. Christians were known for not doing that and just throwing off a child because it was a, a girl and they didn't want a girl or if it was, um, didn't come out the way they wanted, they would simply throw it on the junk pile. In fact, Christians were also known not only for not doing it, but they were known for going and gathering those children and, and bringing them into their own community. What did you do on the weekend? Well, I went out with some other Christian friends and we saved children from the dump heap and now they're a part of our church. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they, are not, they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. Darkness doesn't recognize light. It's, it's a foreign concept. It doesn't... Darkness does not know how to deal with light. It hates light. It hates being told it's dark. <laughs> and I, I've seen this to be, to be true. Lives of righteousness lived uh, next to lives that are unrighteous bugs the unrighteous. Really bugs the unrighteous. What makes it worse is those who are living in darkness don't realize they're living in darkness. What do they call it? Enlightenment. <laughs> Interesting. In John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, it describes what it meant that Jesus stepped into the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It cannot overcome it. In verse 9, it says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So that's one reason why it causes persecution and a pushback from the world. The world does not know how to deal with this foreign concept of the Beatitudes and living a life for King Jesus. Also, Jesus' new humanity can't be manipulated, and the world isn't like that. An authentic following of Jesus cannot be manipulated through political power, ideology, how we approach our work. And some of us have experienced this. I've, I've spoken to people who've experienced this. So if a, if a, if a woman gets a new job at, in, a, in an office and the majority of people in that office have kind of been getting by just at minimum and when the boss isn't around, they just kind of do whatever they want. And then uh, a woman trying to live a righteous life steps into the office. She's giving 100% for the 40 hours that she belongs to, to this business. She's doing an honest job, but all of a sudden her work is showing to be a little bit 
higher than everybody else is there, not because she's done anything wrong, but because she's lived a righteous life and lived an honest life in front of her, her fellow employees, she can be pushed back against and persecuted to a certain degree. Why are you working so hard? Just relax. The boss is not around. I used to work in a warehouse. And the people, anyone who's worked in a warehouse, you're already laughing because you know the kind of people who work in a warehouse. I was one of them in my early 20s. And some of the guys that I worked with, the minute they started, they would climb up, and this is a big industrial area, they would climb up the stacks to go to the very top where they couldn't be seen, and they'd fall asleep. They'd wake up around, they'd have an alarm, they'd wake up in time to get up and go on a break, and then they'd come back. And because there's just stack after stack after stack, nobody would notice that they would disappear for an hour I've heard a story about, about some employees that worked in a warehouse that, that found a space in the wall where no one could see them. There was like a part of the wall wasn't finished yet, and they'd walk <laughs> into the wall, party on, and they'd, they, they would, I had a friend who, who was told about it. Then they pulled me in this wall, and they're like, hey, we can just hang out here. No one can see us. Yeah, that's <laughs> party on. What they will do, how hard they were work to not have work. And then light comes into that and goes, this is not the way that we, we, we make money. This is not honest work. And that pushes up against others. And I remember pushing against those who were like, what are you doing going up there and sleeping for an hour? Do you, do you don't see a problem with that? Keep it down, man. <laughs> Keep it down. It's the way we do things here. Maybe for some of us, you know, this, those are kind of silly stories, but for some of us, this it might be a little bit more, there might be more reality, the idea of working in the, in the higher echelons of a business and, and basically being hired and saying, hey, listen, we expect you to give your blood for this company. Never heard of, uh, we, we, we do a seven-day week. And if it means sacrificing relationships at home, we expect you to live and die and breathe in and out this company. And a Christian says, I, I can't do that. My life cannot belong to a company. I've been entrusted with the task of serving a family, of serving God. My fullest humanity does not come from what I get out of this work. That is light shining in dark places. When our life, when our life does not revolve about how many cars we have and, and we can't be manipulated by some new promise. See, Jesus' new humanity at its fullest is an affront to all that our culture declares to be fully human. Christianity pushes back and says, you've missed what it means to be fully human. You want to see what fully human looks like? Look to Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 2 says, For to me, Paul writes this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is not a, a sentiment that is disconnected from how we interact with and declare with our lives what is most important to us. For me to live is Christ. So I cannot be manipulated by these things. I, I am too fully uh, drawn to my Savior. And to live this kind of life out always has been for 2,000 years. It is to question everything everyone around us is spending their life running after. So of course it's going to rub up against others. And that will bring some level of persecution. And so we can look to Jesus and say, hey, they persecuted him. Of course they're going to persecute us. But how do we respond to that persecution when we look to Jesus again? And we see, and many of us have seen this, I've seen this as a pastor, we see, I see one of two things in, in a response to persecution. One is to lash back just as hard or harder. That's a pretty common one. Another one 
just as tragic is maybe just to go, well, I'm out then. If this kind of pressure is going to push in, uh, and so many have walked away from the church. I've seen this in my time at the church. And in the name of, of deconstruction or a, an unpacking of faith, which can be very important for some people, people who've been hurt, people who need to do some, some surgery to kind of split what is authentic faith and what is, is errant, misguided belief. But for many, a distancing from the church has just been a way of, of keeping comfortable and, and stepping away from, from persecution from the world. And this is nothing new. Jesus dealt with this himself. Jesus was teaching his disciples and those who were around him. And as they were following him, he was, he was kind of pushing the limits to go, okay, and, and making his teaching a little more difficult to kind of hold on to and, and grasp onto. And in, in John chapter 6, the, the crowd, he, Jesus finishes speaking to them and a whole bunch of the crowd just disappear like we're out. We cannot be, this teaching is too far. And in John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus approaches his, his, his closest 12 and he says, do you want to leave too? Do you? And Simon Peter, in one of Peter's shining moments, because he had a lot of bad ones, but he was shining at this one. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I would say that to you as the world pre presses in on what it means to be a Christ follower, as the world presses in against you as you try to live out a holy life, to live out a kingdom life, I would put this to you, where else are you going to go? Only he has the words of eternal life. And we see here how we respond, how we ought to respond to persecution. We remind ourselves that only in Christ do we have a larger story. Only in Christ do we have an eternal foundation. We see this in the letter of Hebrews, and this is such a, a beautiful text. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those who've come before us, almost like this, this beautiful um, um, coliseum watching you and I as we, as we live out our faith, as we come to this great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. How do we do this? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, uh, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The idea here is of being in a race, and everyone around you is cheering, and what's great about this is they're all on your side, and they're cheering for you as you run, and you're getting tired, so how do you continue to fight through? You listen to these people who are cheering for you, and you keep your eyes on Jesus. And you run towards him with everything you have. And if there's anything that's pulling you back, so many people who are struggling with sin in your life and habits in your life, often we focus on the sin and go, how am I going to deal with that? No, no, no. Look at Jesus. And if anything tries to pull you back from, from going towards Jesus, just, no, I don't want that because it's slowing me down. It's keeping me from fully embracing him. So we endure, we respond, first by placing our, ourselves in the larger narrative. Globally and historically, we place ourselves in the larger narrative. Today, around the world, people are being jailed, they're being chased out, persecuted, they're being killed for being Christian. Not because they got in an argument online. Not because they pushed back against masks, not because they tried to push out an evil regime, not, not even because they were on the street corner preaching, simply because they said, I belong to Jesus. Simply because they are guilty by association. People are losing their lives, they're being jailed, they're being persecuted today. Because they're saying, for me to live 
is Christ. They're saying, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am a child of the living God. I'm going to live a life of mercy and meekness. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus because my life belongs to him now and forever. I've been placed in this grand narrative and I'm going to run my race faithfully. And it's a replanting of themselves in this narrative, this eternal, global, unconquerable church of Jesus that sustains them through it. And believe me, it can sustain us through any persecution we face. We also respond, by, as the text says in Hebrews, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus as a model and as our lifeline. Not just as, oh, he did a good job. I can do that. No, no, no. You grab him. You have, he, only he has the words of eternal life. John 15, 5 to 6. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Good moral life, you can't pull it off without Jesus. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So we stay connected to Jesus. And we do that through devotion. We do that through spiritual disciplines. We do that when we gather and we worship and we plan ourselves in this larger story. When we pray together, when we have communion or the Lord's Supper, as we'll do in a little bit. But we look to him also as our example, in the life that he lived as a model for us. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, it says, Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, had all the reasons not to step away. Didn't, he did not quit consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything to glorify God the Father. And he invites you and I to join in this narrative. And we can do it because we know where this narrative leads. That, we know that that's not the end of the narrative. We saw a hint of that in Hebrews. But when we look at Jesus, we also see where this story is going. We're invited on the same path that Jesus walked from the beginning all the way to the end. And in Philippians 2, it continues in verse 9. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name. When you and I worship, we're not just simply looking, looking back at what Jesus did or the fact that he's coming again. He currently reigns, and so we lift up his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As, as Christians, as those who associate themselves with Jesus, you and I are invited into what one scholar calls the cruciform life. The cruciform life is the life that follows the same path as Jesus. It gives up everything in order to reign with him in the end. Notice the, the ending of the cruciform life is that which, which gives up its rights like Jesus, but ends up in the highest place. That's why Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. That sounds familiar. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Heaven smiles down upon you. I love what Tim, the late, great Timothy Keller 
says about the, the future informing our present. Knowing what our hope is for the future, how it informs our present. He says this. He says, eternal life means the life of the age to come brought forward so that we can live in the present world out of the power of the age to come. This is what he's saying. He's saying eternal life does not mean just what comes later. To live out a vibrant, as a vibrant Christian is to have our future come and inform our present. Live in the beauty of what's coming. If anyone has asked me over the last couple of weeks, so, so what are you going to be doing over the next months? I've told them all, I'm going to Switzerland. I'm very excited. I'm going to be going on a trip to Switzerland this next Friday. If I've had anything uh, in my office or I've struggled with anyone over the last two weeks, I thought, well, at least I'm going to Switzerland. It, the future has informed my present. Whatever you are walking through when it comes to your religious life, your, your, your faith, when it comes to what you are walking through physically, and I know some of you are walking through deep physical pain. What are you walking through emotionally or spiritually? The invitation of the gospel is not just to hunker down and go, well, someday. No, it's to have that hope inform your present experience, to live in that experience, to see the entire story. For those of you who were with us when we walked through the book of Revelation uh, a few years ago, you'll remember that one of the points of the book of Revelation, one of the major point of the book of, of Revelation, the revelation of the Apostle John, was to expose those who are being persecuted to a larger narrative. To say the story is so much bigger than you think. That presently, as we read in Philippians 2, Christ is enthroned. Nothing is happening outside of his vision. This is the present reality which informs how we view, how we respond, and how we endure what at times can be a hostile reality. This is our story. This is what we're welcomed into. This is what we celebrate. When we gather, like when, when Josh leads us in worship, when Marika leads us in worship, it's not just, oh, this is part of this is part of what we do when we get together at church. It's meant to lift our head above the muck and the mire and say, oh, this story is so much bigger. Don't let, these, don't let these songs pass you by because they got a good tune or a bad tune. Either way, don't let them pass you by. Jump into the narrative that they are offering you. It's what we celebrate. It's what we remember as we worship, when we gather in a community, when we take communion together, the Lord's Supper. Some of you might know it as the Eucharist, which means the, the meal of, of, of grace that's given to us. Why? Because it, it informs us of the larger story. It anchors us in that. Communion is a way of, of anchoring ourselves in what God is doing, what he has done and what he's doing. It's a way of remembering the past, looking forward to the future, and so bringing the future into the present. Communion is a, is a dramatic practice of, of declaring that God has done something amazing. He is doing something amazing with, with history, he, he's ripped the lid off the cosmic box and he's done something of eternal significance which is meant to inform us right now. And so when we take these normal everyday um, objects, these, these things, we place eternal significance on them. 
sacred significance that you and I are living out a larger narrative that brings true satisfaction to our hunger, that quenches our deepest thirst, that welcomes us all in. Communion is a way of, when we eat communion, we say, yeah, this is my story. This is the story that sustains me. This is the story that, that refreshes me. In this life, in Jesus' life, death and resurrection, and his current reign, Jesus is sustaining me and he's giving me strength. So I'm going to invite Josh up. I'm going to invite those who are going to be handing out communion. And as he leads us in worship, I'm going to invite you. So for those of you who've never taken communion here, or you've taken it and we need to, we're reteaching you, um, you're just going to stay in your seats and we're going to pass the bread around. And then after that, we'll pass the cup but I'll say this, as the, as the bread is passed, and we're all going to eat together at the end. So just hold on to it until I lead you through that. But I do want to say, if this is not your story, maybe you walked into church this, mor- this morning, maybe for the first time ever, and you're like, ah, those are the weirdest snacks ever. Um, this might, maybe this isn't your story. Maybe you have not come to the point where you go, yeah, I want, my, I want to find meaning and my identity and my hope and, and inner peace by stepping into this story that, that Jesus lived, died, was resurrected, and now reigns over. Maybe, maybe you, you don't buy into this. There would be my hope and desire that we'd have a conversation after this service uh, and that you would, you would dive into this story and research this story and that next time when we take communion, you'd be like, yeah, this is my story now. Um, so, but if that's not you, then just let the plates pass you by. Um, if this is your story, whether you're a, a part of this church or not, you are welcome to take part in, in communion with us this morning. So uh, the band's gonna play and lead us in worship. Please use this time. To, to reflect on the lyrics that are being sung. And before I, I lead you through taking the bread, we're going to leave just a few seconds of silence just to be reminded of the unseen guest with us today as we take this meal together. So Josh, go ahead and lead us, and our team's going to pass out the bread. Yeah. 
that we do have, if you need gluten-free uh, bread, there's some just at the back corner up there on a table. I'll give you a second to go grab that if you need it. I apologize. tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks to God the Father, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given freely for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. by handing, handing the cup up now.
Scripture again records that in the same way after the meal, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed with my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Let's drink. And so, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for purchasing for us a new way of life, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of seeing the past and the future and the present. And we thank you for all that this meal represents and proclaims. And so we pray that you would sustain us through the truth behind this meal, its proclamation that we would leave here more anchored in our story, more tethered and abiding in you and living out the very story that we just celebrated. Guide us. Guide us in your way. Sustain us through whatever level of persecution we face this week. Be with your church around the world, we pray, as they withstand true suffering and persecution for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand to leave you with a benediction. I do want to say, if you want to spend some time uh, in prayer, you can do so where you are with a trusted friend. If you'd like uh, our prayer team to pray with you, they'll be up here to your left. Please take advantage uh, of that. Um, for, for the rest of you, as you look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ, if your spiritual radar goes off, we call that the Holy Spirit, if, you, if that's going off, go and, and just check in with somebody and see if maybe they need prayer or just need someone to talk to. Um, but we've got some, some treats and some coffee. Church is not done. It's just made, taking its way out to the foyer. Let me leave you with these words written by uh, the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He said, what shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but he gave, up, uh, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, he was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we church, you church, you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.